Hi, I am Dan. And I'm Jenny. And this is Rookie Movie Reviews. Jenny, what do we do on the podcast? On this podcast, we rate the top 100 movies of all time. I don't know, it's 2020, might change in 2025, but here, now, today, maybe it's even changed. Anyway, it's someone's top 100, <laughs> and we watch them and we rate them. Yes, and today we watched Shawshank Redemption. Jenny, what do you think of Shawshank Redemption? I gotta say, this movie has to be one of the top 100. Of when? Of what time frame? <laughs> of all time, probably, oh, on this one. Good. This is the first one in the list, sequentially, and I don't know... I think the list is ordered by fan rating, I want to say, because it's not, it's, it's not alphabetical. No. So I'm just going to go and say that it is fan rating. So this movie, as far as IMDb's fan-curated top 100 movie list goes, this is number one. I'll just make that claim right now. First thing first, it's a release. Are you checking it? Uh, it's a 9.3. Oh, I thought you were, like, Googling the top 100 list itself no. to see how Did it was I over. just... Did I just sway us with that information? No, I mean, I know that it's got an insanely high rating. I, I already have an idea of what I want to rate it, you know, so... Do you, wanna, do you want me to look up what the top 100 are? No. Okay. I just have um, a summary in front of me because I take notes, but I also have the memory of a gnat. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's true. I think you have a great memory. Thank you, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, should we jump into the movie? Yeah, or? Let's All right. Do it. So it opens up with the man sitting in his car, listening to a love song, and he is clearly hammered, and he. Is holding a gun, so something's afoot. We cut back and forth in this opening scene between this drunk guy who is Andy Dufresne sitting in his car and Andy Dufresne in court in front of a panel of judges and a prosecutor and a judge. A panel of judges? A panel of uh, a, a jury? A panel of his peers. <laughs> a pa it's a serious court case. They brought in a lot of judges. He has to sing... The best he's ever sung to make <laughs> yeah. it to the next this level. Is a, this movie is about X Factor. <laughs> what does that say about American Idol that I'm already thinking of a panel of judges on a singing competition as X Factor rather than American Idol? Um, American Idol kind of fell out of the zeitgeist. <laughs> oh, damn. Pugsley is chomping at my notebook strings. He's trying to put together a well-recorded podcast and he no. is punishing us. Anyway, um, I mean, American Idol was a copycat off of some British show. Probably The X Factor. Britain's Got Talent. Who knows these days? Anyway. anyway. Um, basically, this whole opening thing is the prosecutor grilling Andy, saying, I know you did it. And Andy saying, I didn't do it. Um, and what did he do is... The, the question, allegedly, he killed his wife. Oh, did you want me to answer that? No. I I was laying it out there, but 
You were kind of looking elsewhere, so I just I'm, charged I am ahead. topping up my cup right now, and I feel like no jury would convict me of murdering my wife. Yes, but you so. also don't have a gun and are sitting outside of your wife's lover's house. You don't know that. Well, I guess relative to where your wife's lover's house is, we're technically going to be outside of it no matter where we are, unless we're in it. That's very uh, metaphysical of you. Well, it's kind of like when you're thinking, oh, after midnight. That goes right up until 11.59 p.m. You can never feed a gremlin. Yeah. What are they before they turn ugly? Mogwai? That's the name of the main cutie patootie of the movie is Mogwai. I don't know. But they turn into... Gremlins. Drinking, smoking, gamblers... They get cool after midnight. That's in Gremlins 2, right? I thought Gremlins 2, they, like, invaded a strip mall. Yeah, or some, there's some news broadcaster, it's a movie. It's very meta, I recall. We just saw it in a bar with subtitles on. Uh, oh my god, yeah. Yeah. Was that? Okay. It is Mogwai. That is the name of the beast's. Oh, the creatures themselves are mogwais? Yes. Oh, my okay. My 80s knowledge and the cannot guy just, be contested. The guy just named his mogwai mogwai? Um, kids aren't that imaginative. Oh my god, it's Cantonese for devil. Oh, he names the mogwai gizmo. Fuck, man. My cred is completely hamstrung now. It's fine. I've only Did ever seen... Did you know it's a Christmas movie? No. It's a Christmas movie. I've only ever seen part of Gremlins 2. That's my whole You haven't Gremlin. seen the first one? No. Ooh, we're going to have an 80s night. We're going to watch The Goonies. We're going to watch The Sandlot. We're going to watch Back to the Future. Back to the Future is on this list. Oh, good. So we will have to eventually. Well, I'll make you do a triple feature on that one. Perfect. We should watch Back to the Future first. Sandlot is a 93 movie. I've never seen Sandlot. It's about a ragtag group of kids who get their shit together and play baseball. Oh, he's all I know. I've seen the very scary looking redhead kid with really beady eyes. He's scary. He looks scary. Aww. He's just grimacing all the time and growling. Anyway. Did we see the same same lot? Anyway, we're talking about murder here. Murder in the first degree. Cold blood. I like, I will say, a, bit, a plus out of the gate is that they introduce this interesting level of untrustworthy perspective because you, it's, I don't know how unique it is, but Andy is presented as the main character, even though we'll probably get into who's the protagonist in this movie between Andy or Red, Morgan Freeman, but um, Andy is presented as the guy we're watching in prison, right? He's the... Would you call Gatsby the main character of The Great Gatsby or Nick Carraway? Because Nick Carraway is the narrator. And we see everything from his perspective, but... Yeah, well, we don't see everything from Red's perspective. And Nick Carraway does change. Um, I would argue Red changes. Well, yeah, Red does change. He he becomes, you know, institutionalized. Uh, spoiler alert. But... Um, Oh yeah, by the way, if you haven't seen this movie from the 80s, we're going to spoil it. <laughs> well, it we 80s? haven't seen it, so... 1994, Jesus Christ. I wrote that down. 
excellent You year. just want to hang out in the 80s for a bit. I want to go back to the 80s. I want to get high on Coke Zero. That's, yes, that's what that was. It was a high-inducing. <laughs> what, what's a, what year is Coke Crystal? Uh, Crystal Pepsi? Is that it? I don't know any shit about I, want some I don't know Surge anything. Cola. I want to play video games on my PlayStation 1. No. That, <laughs> I know that's really that's Crystal Pepsi first sold in the 90s. You know, I think the issue is that we conflate the 80s and 90s because we were born mid 90s, so it's just like anything before our time. Anything cool because the 70s is like a hard line for me. Yeah, that's like Lancelot and Knights of the Round Table. <laughs> right? I mean, I still like Airplane and Blazing Saddles, but there's this ambiguous time frame where I can't really tell apart the filmography of the 80s and 90s. And I'm sure it's different. I just can't really find the distinction. Maybe it's because of the economic boom after 87 that kind of led until 98. Maybe. They, that might, those might be the wrong years on economic figures. There is a, that made me think of this YouTube video essay we watched once about why movies are weird. I meant, I, I said boom, but the economy tanked is what I actually meant. Anyway, why? Why movies from a certain point are weird. And it's because when we watch movies now, we see people trying to be these characters and be invisible. And movies back in the 50s or whatever are people performing for a good time. And this essay, uh, the thesis was that Marlon Brando and Boxcar Named, or Streetcar Named Desire. Yep, Streetcar Named Desire. He was doing new age acting shit, trying to be the character while acting with people who were doing old style, trying to be theatrical and entertained. So it's a, apparently a good movie to watch if you're curious about watching an intersection between old and new acting styles. I wish I remembered oh, I what. Oh, I that, yeah. I wish I remembered the YouTube channel. Anyway, this whole tangent was kicked off because I was saying this opening is interesting because we are watching Andy Dufresne in court and he's describing what he did that night and then we see the flashback of him drinking, get out of the car with the gun in his hand and he says, of course, I got back in the car, drove home through the gun in the river. Drove him drunk. Yeah. I, I didn't do it, but I think that's cool kind of setting up you know, we're watching a bunch of crooks in prison. It's a running joke that everyone in there is guilt, uh, innocent and in the prison, that is. And it's narrated by Red, who's getting to know Andy. But we're really kind of curious, like, did Andy do it or not? And what is he doing in prison? So there's all these different perspectives that I think make a really entertaining stew of plot to to watch, you know, and to unravel. There's always shit that you're thinking about or reconciling with an earlier plot point. And I think that starts here in the courtroom with him saying, I didn't do it, and us visually seeing him Probably, looking like he did it. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so he's convicted of two life sentences back to back. For the, the man and the woman. Yeah, for his wife and lover for the two uh, lives he took. To be fair, those people were probably in their 40s. So did he deserve two life sentences? Maybe two half-life sentences. Half-life two. <laughs> okay, that's why we're not in comedy. Um, <laughs> we're trying to be. It's not working out. After this, we meet Red. 
So he's brought for the first time. He's convicted of two life sentences, and we cut to Red being brought before his parole board. And it's been 20 years of prison at this point for him. Yeah, into a life sentence. So he has one life sentence. But yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of realizing the passage of time in this movie is pretty intense. Yeah, it's like a 20-year movie. Yeah, they're in prison for 20 damn years. How does how does Red's parole go? It goes great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he... He gets asked if he feels that he's reformed, and he says, oh yes, absolutely. And then for whatever reason, he gets rejected by the X-Factor judges. The panel of judges, yeah. <laughs> the parole board. They buzz him off the stage. Better Ooh. luck next decade. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Um, and then Red introduces himself to be kind of like the Sears of the prison. He can get you anything. And... Um, yeah, the uh, he's the sorry, so he's just introducing himself and he's the series of the prison, he can get anybody anything. And shortly after that, the fresh fish come in, it's the bus of new recruits, and the inmates are calling names, they're trying to jeer them. And we see Red with his friends, and they're taking bets. And I wasn't exactly sure on what they were taking bets about. I kind of thought it was going to be the first person to get killed in prison. Yeah, I was thinking that or a beating or suicide or something. Yeah. Like something really dark. But it wasn't, thankfully. Yeah. Well, it wasn't... What they were betting on wasn't dark, but what ends up happening is he bets a lot of money on Dufresne being the first guy to crack. And then some other folks take on fat ass. Because he doesn't get a name. Yep, his, he is in the subtitles as fat ass. It might be credited as something else in IMDb, but we didn't check. Um, Why so did we check? Everybody kind of bets on fat ass. And this whole sequence has some really cool stuff. Like there's this massive tracking shot when the um, bus rolls up. This it must have been a helicopter shot because they didn't have drones in 94 flying around. But it's a Well, whole... the government did. Yes. They had secret ones. With fluoride in them. For mind control. <laughs> so, massive shot of the prison yard and all these prisoners kind of walking in. I thought it was really cool to see the, the scale. And there's a scene that comes up later uh, with similar scale. And it's like a whole different perspective of all these people in the prison yard. And we'll talk about it when it comes around, but... Um, for now, it's it's kind of gray, dingy. People are all walking towards the the gate to jeer the new arrivals. One thing I want to say about this prison is that it's gorgeous. The the architecture of it, because prisons nowadays, like Columbia County, where Jeffrey Dahmer was killed, we mm -hmm. are super close to that prison. And two people recently escaped, and I never checked if they were caught. They got caught. Oh, okay. They got caught. Um, they they got a car. And they got a little bit out of town, and then somebody recognized them pretty quickly. So they weren't they weren't out more than twenty four hours, I think. It's crazy to think, in all this media, like in this one, for example, a fucking prison break. It's impossible. You're never gonna get away, right? I mean, I don't at least know. today. Maybe hmm. move to Mexico. 
grow a beard, shave it off? I mean, you steal a car, and then the entire internet is aware of these people that escaped and what they look like. Less than a day later, some random asshole sees you and is like, ah. Oh. Kids go missing all the time. That's true. I guess I don't mean to uh, delegitimize the the danger of missing persons cases. That seems like prisoners. I don't know. Escaping prison seems tough. I won't fight you on that one. That's my TED talk. <laughs> Even Pugsley's mad at you right now. Well, I'm playing with his toes. And he's swiping at me. He's also very firm. Oh, God. I'm just Stop leave him alone. Him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, this prison's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> prison's gorgeous, yeah. Very gothic. Oh, yeah, gothic. Well, it was the 40s, and they're in New England, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah, um, also, Red is narrating this whole thing, and I kind of realized that all the memes and jokes about Morgan Freeman having the voice of God and, and like, you know, the internet She's loves his voice. He's got such a nice voice. <laughs> it's, it's all... Pugsley's I back was, at it. I was basically tantalizing him with the with bookmark the on the notes. <laughs> but this movie must be the progenitor of... Progenitor? Yeah. Damn, are you an English major? Uh, yeah. <laughs> progenitor of the Morgan Freeman has a good voice. 94, he was in Driving Miss Daisy before this. Well, yeah, but did he narrate Driving Miss Daisy? Watching this, it just feels like he has so many opportunities to muse about Andy and just all you can hear is his voice and have some scenery to look at. I don't know. It just seems like a real strong push to have the Morgan Freeman is the best narrator ever type meme take off. Yeah, I don't, I, um, to be honest, I've never seen Driving Miss Daisy, so I guess I don't know if he narrates it. I kind of assumed he would. Yeah, I haven't She's seen it. She's got such either. a rich, lovely voice. Exactly. And he was also, the new arrivals show up on the, on the thing. They, they get into, get into the prison, they're lined up, and we are made aware immediately that the guards in this movie are horrible monsters, and the prisoners in this movie are lovable uh, victims, right? So yeah, lovable victims, I guess. I, I mean, mean, we don't know what any of them are in for ex explicitly, except for Andy Dufresne. And Red admits. Well, he admits he murdered someone, but we don't know the details of the case. Yeah, that's true. Um, though he does say he's the only guilty guy in Shawshank at one point, and I kind of, I don't know, it kind of makes me think it was probably a pretty stupid crime. And then there are prisoners who are villains, like the, the sisters, quote-unquote. But True. Uh, this particular scene is, in my view, definitely setting up the dynamic of guards are terrifying monsters, and these victims who just showed up, uh, these prisoners who just showed up are victims. Right. They get stripped. One dude is gets a gut shot with a weapon uh, for asking when they get to eat. They're sprayed with a hose and deloused with, I assume it's like lye or delousing. I don't, I think lye burns your skin on contact, doesn't it? 
Well, uh, when Red was narrating, he does say your skin is burning with that dehousing shit they throw. Oh. In. So they it might not be lie because that might be more intense of a chemical burn, but I don't know. it's some chemical, and they just march them into their cells, butt naked in front of everybody. You know, it's definitely humiliating and uh, makes you realize that the stakes are raised. What are you looking up? Delousing powder. <laughs> twenty twenty man, phones are awesome. Oh yeah. And then uh, at the end of all of that stuff, they reveal that the bet is who cries the first night. Um, DDT. Holy shit. That's what they're fluffing all over these people? Yeah, man. That's what Silent Spring's about because that's what made all the eagle shells really thin and yeah. killed them. Wow. Rough shit. Well, the bet's revealed to be who cries, which was a relief to me, you know, as yeah, as far as in, in its own way. As long as as far as darkness can go in a prison movie, <laughs> someone crying in their cell is the least dark. But, well, I don't know the psychological horror of being in prison. Yeah, it's not lighthearted. And what else is not lighthearted is what happens to quote unquote fat ass. Yeah, Hadley goes into his cell. Hadley is the guy's name. He's also the dude who. Gut shots a guy when they first come in for asking when they eat. Yep. He's the he's the secondary villain. Yes. So. And he gives fat ass a, a real beating. Like, it was not fair at all. He's just kicking this guy to shit. And he's trying though, to make an example of him, probably. Even the prisoners who have been there and seen it for years and years at this point uh, are calling to him to knock it off and uh, be easy on him. So it probably it, it like makes sense that they would call that out, but it, it must have been particularly brutal for that to happen. Fat ass gets beat to death, and <laughs> it's really a brutal beating, and it's very harrowing. The next day, they go to have breakfast, and, um, you know, all the prisoners roll out. The whole time, Red is narrating how Andy did not say, a, not a peep from his cell all night. And they are eating breakfast. There's maggots in this guy's food, in Andy's food. He plucks it out, and we meet Brooks, this kindly old man. He says, are you going to eat that? I start sweating internally at this point because <laughs> I thought he was going to eat that. I mean, protein. Right? I thought, I think I say things are so dire in this prison that they're eating the maggots. But no, uh, he takes a maggot, feeds it to a baby bird in his pocket. Very adorable. Do you remember that scene in Ghost Ship where they're eating the can of spaghetti and they realize it's maggots? Yeah. <laughs> what a great movie Ghost Ship was. Ghost Ship has the writer Rohan in it. Carl Urban, who Carl also Urban. plays the bu uh, the butcher from The Boys. That's Carl Urban, and he's Judge Dredd. What was Carl Urban doing in Ghost Ship? He was getting his start. Was, he had to find something to launch his career, and I guess, I don't know the sequence of Carl Urban movies, but uh, he ended up in Lord of the Rings. So that's it worked a moneymaker. It must have been, right? I wonder if that's one of those things that was a sure deal from the start or by the end of the third one, everyone's like, oh, fuck, 
residuals are going to be rad on this. <laughs> well, what was Elijah in beforehand? I have no idea. Yeah. Now he's a little indie darling. Yeah, he busted out his Frodo and then was like, peace, I'm... I'm going to be in a lot cooler movies. I'm doing weird Netflix stuff. Hell yeah. Remember that one? Um, I do not feel at home in this world. Yeah, anymore. that shit was That's crazy. That's a really good movie. Yeah, that was entertaining. I want to make my friends watch it, but none of them are into stuff like that. Maybe Morgan would. Like quirky. Shout out Morgan. Yeah. Love you, girl. Elijah Wood recently, or I don't know how recently, I think it was recently, like 2018s, mm-hmm. was in a movie where it was like, the conceit was a found footage film, but he plays a serial killer, and he is filming, and there's a lot of like first person brutal murder you torture. sure it wasn't Shia LaBeouf? I am sure, yes. It was, the, <laughs> it was Shia LaBeouf's home camcorder. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good meme. Like Shia LaBeouf What is, one. um... He gets down on all fours, and he's chasing you. Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> I, I don't know who sings it originally, but... I love that. Yeah, that, that blew up that whole thing, huh? Yeah. It was like a Flash animation. Something. Yeah. So we are, I'd say, 10 minutes into the movie and 25 minutes into this podcast. Oh, boy. <laughs> we, okay. So... Real quick, I just want to touch on this breakfast diner scene. A, Brooks is awesome with his bird. And B... Breakfast diner scene? Breakfast uh, diner... I wrote down diner a couple times because... Prison they, cafeteria. Yeah, so it's a prison cafeteria scene, but I... They're kept, at a diner <laughs> by a panel of judges this fall. It's like Sappho and her friend except with horrible prison. <laughs> They were, they were having breakfast in a diner. It was It was a good time for everybody involved. Um, I don't know why I went Brooklyn. Uh, we've that. been watching a lot of Seinfeld. Yes. Pretty good show. Also, you love Spider-Man. I do love Spider-Man. But the second point, apart from Brooks being very cool with his bird, is Andy's the only guy who thinks to ask what was Fat Ass's <laughs> name. You know, like, yeah. they, they learn he's dead. He was beat to death because the doctor left the prison and... Didn't come back till morning, even though there was a near-death situation. And, uh, yeah, so he's dead, and Andy's the only guy who's like, what's his name? And then the other guy, I forget his, I forget the, he's like the third, he's like the main dude of the posse, kind of. Yeah. But he says, what does it matter? He's dead. You know, who cares what his name is? So we see these people. Andy is a very uh, heartfelt person, seemingly, or at least heartfelt enough to care about a dead guy. And then everyone else is so jaded and uh, kind of cold that, you know, who cares what his name is? He's yeah. Dead. So. I agree with that. So after that scene, um, we get a weird shower scene and the introduction of Boggs and the sisters. And Jesus Christ, I, I don't think there is a right way to do a rape scene because that's a wrong phrasing like there's no I don't know but how I would describe it as it made me deeply uncomfortable but it did not make me nauseous the way that like American History X did or um um the lives of others yeah or, um 
we we haven't watched it for this podcast, but the one with um the older Olsen girl. Oh, Wind River. Wind, Wind River, yeah. Yeah, that's a good movie, but that scene in that movie. It's got some stuff to cut. Anyway, I think I think since it gives me such a visceral emotional reaction, what I'm going to start doing for this podcast is every time we end up watching a movie that has a rape scene, I think I'm going to donate some money to Rain. Yeah, that's sure. I think we should also we'll put it in the description, but moving forward, we should probably put we should put a content warning like at this point because we've already said the word rape a lot and they're at least going to discuss in passing the fact that rape happens in this movie off screen always, but quite frequently. Um, I guess we could call it sexual assault because a lot of people put that coating on it. Yeah, I I mean it's not really a a hill I'm gonna die on or anything, well, but I it does feel, feel like, like the word because of the connotation of the word. Like I feel like the word is disgusting. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. sexual assault is kind of dancing around. Yeah, it's a lose lose in every single well, yeah. sense of the word. We'll say sexual anyway. assault. So. So after this was after the what was his name? Yeah. So after the what was his name? There's this weird shower scene. And it's the introduction of the sisters and Boggs. And there's kind of a weird chemistry from Boggs. And he he says something to Andy. And Andy's like, fuck off. And Boggs says, hard to get. I like that. So we know it's not going to turn out well for Andy. But next up, we see Andy. And he finally says more than two words to someone. And it's to Red. Mm-hmm. And he asks Mr. Sears if he can get him a small, what kind of hammer is it? Rock hammer. A small rock hammer. And it's, um, he describes it as like a six or seven inch mini pickaxe. Yeah. So they set up the conditions for that. Yeah, and, and he's a geologist buff and that's why he wants it. One thing I liked about that sequence is, because this is, like you said, the first time they talk. Red and Andy, Andy to anybody, and Red makes a joke about how he's not going to tunnel through the wall, and Andy says, uh, uh, wait until you see the rock hammer, uh, as to why it would be so silly to dig under the wall with it. And then also, as he walks off, Red describes how he's got the air of this guy who doesn't have care in the world, he's walking through the yard like he's walking through a park, and he says it. It's fair to say I liked him immediately, which comes up with a different character later in the movie, and I just thought that was very nice. Uh, it, it was a wholesome scene to come down after the uh, tension of the implication of the shower scene, so kind of a de-stressor there, and then you were going to say the sequence of getting the rock hammer and like prison economy and all that stuff is shown yeah it's really cool we see the laundry come in or some sacks and there's obviously a bunch of guys in the supply chain because they have to bring in the stuff hide the stuff call red over and i like scenes like that because i don't know sleight of hand always wish i could pull something like that off like i've always wished i could be a detective but i i don't have it in me i don't have the heart and all the gumption (laughs) 
Yeah, or the um, or the necessary smoking habits if you want to be noir. You know. Um, I don't want to be noir, because that's a total men writing women territory. You talk about the buoyancy of my breasts, and, and the I dames. Dames. Deadly, but soft. <laughs> <laughs> Legs like hot dogs. <laughs> Just want to eat them cold. I feel personally attacked. It's not a shame to like cold hot dogs. Oh man, we got buns because you're gonna eat those hot dogs warm. Don't tell me you're gonna eat a cold hot dog in a bun. You are not gonna let a bun get I was, moist I was... <laughs> with hot dog slime and I, then eat it. I had the idea of a warm hot dog in the <laughs> bun to just break away from eating packs and packs of uncooked cold hot dogs like I do nowadays. But this is what quarantine does Since so you brought up how disturbed you would be if I put a cold hot dog in a bun, I might just do that. Like right now? No, I'm not hungry. Okay, we just had stew. Yes. I made a nice stew. And, and homemade bread. Uh-huh. Quarantine, making bread. Thank you, Jenny, for yeah. the stew and the bread. Thank you. Anyway, that's our uh, grocery trip and dinner. <laughs> we got hot dogs and we had stew. Yep. Hot dog stew. I'll give you my recipe. One cup water. Yes. Two cups chopped hot dog. Boil until boiled. Until boiled. Just bring, <laughs> so you put it all in cold, bring it up to boiling. And then take four hot dog buns and I rip them into one-inch chunks. I don't like where this is going. And put them in the hot dog broth. Is this broth or stew? Well, <laughs> what makes it a stew? Oh, take some hot dog water out, mix with a tablespoon <laughs> of flour, and then you're going to make a slurry. And you add that slurry back into the hot dog water. And you go, okay, we can cut this out. Let's just move on. <laughs> Next up, a sexual assault scene. Yeah. That's too dark. So, um, the hammer, the rock hammer gets to Red, uh, the rock hammer gets from Red to Andy, and then we see Andy on the laundry detail. He's told to go get some laundry chemicals from a back room. Cornered by the sisters, uh, particularly Boggs, he's sexually assaulted. And I think it is worth noting, I, I've heard the line before where Red says, I'd like to tell you he fought the good fight, but prison is no fairy tale world. And I just wanted to call attention to that line. I feel like it's a, an iconic line and um, particularly poignant at such a harrowing moment. Um, but... This, uh, unfortunately, continues. There's basically a sequence where it alludes to the fact that he continues to get assaulted for two years, minimum, um, in prison. And Red supposes that had they not caught uh, work detail outside, then uh, he probably would have killed himself. So it's a really low point in the movie. And similar to how the implication of this low point was responded to with 
kind of a nice moment of connection between Red and Andy, that first one, the response to this really harrowing section is one of the brightest sections of the whole movie. They're on work detail. Uh, Morgan Freeman bribes the guard doing the lottery, so Red and all of his friends get to tar the roof. You know, it's a good month to work outside. And, uh, yeah, then they're up there tarring the roof, and Andy overhears the guard talking about a $35,000 windfall of cash from his dead brother-in-law. How does Andy swing it? You're just going to lead into me like that. How does he swing it? Yeah. So when well, I don't know. I was just talking so long. You can talk. It's your turn to talk. I like hearing you talk. I want to hear you talk now. Well, <laughs> Hadley got 35 k from his brother-in-law. So the same guy who beat fat ass to death. Yes. But while he's talking about the 35 k Andy obviously overhears and... He, Hadley, is complaining about how a lot of it's going to go away to taxes, and then even if he has to buy, even if he wants to buy a new car, there's going to be so much repair cost and upkeep, and he won't have anything left. Andy goes up to him, and he says, you can keep that 35k, and it's obvious that the guard thinks he's messing with him, and he holds him over the, the roof, and it looks like he's going to drop him. But then Andy's like, you can just give it to your wife. Or, so, what gets Hadley in arms is Andy asks if he trusts his wife. Yeah, and then when Hadley gets all mad because he's like, you trust your wife? He's like, what the hell? He clarifies it by saying, do you think she would double-cross you if you put your trust in her or something ridiculous like that? Rather than explaining, oh, I see what you might think I'm implying. Sorry, no, what I'm asking is, it's like, no, do you trust your wife, dude? It's very stupid on Andy's part to, uh, feels like he's trying to make the situation worse, almost. Just with what he says. And that's writing. So, then he explains that you can give a one-time gift to your spouse of 35k. And I don't understand how this works, tax-wise, because if I get an inheritance like i am confused because inheritance inheritances should be tax-free in the first place um and like if it was a life insurance policy that should be tax-free if it was from personal wealth that's a one-time gift to a family member too because they're related by marriage but apparently the gift from the brother-in-law though it would pass hands from hadley to his wife does not fall under tax penalty which seems like a loophole that doesn't really exist i have i have two opinions okay the first is that i have no idea of tax law but if, i mean honestly me neither if you get thirty-five thousand, then you'd have to report that as income when you're doing your taxes at year's end if it's a gift if it's an inheritance or a gift it's not like you don't get a ten ninety nine for it, right? But the loose justification I have would be that he gets it, and before he has to report it, he makes the gift it to, to re- his wife. You have to report any income earned. Like there's no before you have to report it because there's your W two or your W four, and that would be steady income from the prison. But then if money passes to him, 
from his brother-in-law and he doesn't report it, that's still tax fraud. Well, then here's my second opinion that I think covers it. Dufresne, being a big shot banker before he goes to prison, and he also says later on that he has to, he, he lived straight before he got into prison, and once he got to prison, he had to be a crook to live. Um, when he's talking with Red in the library. So I think this is part one of him finagling loopholes and shortcuts and being real shady as hell to make this work uh, to Hadley's benefit because he said, oh, to be easy, you would need someone to uh, take care of it, but I could take care of it if you do me a favor for me and my friends. I think there might be an implication, or at least in my head, there's an implication that he pulled some shady criminal shit that is uh, getting him tax-free money when it's not exactly illegal, but, you know, avoids the tax on the money. Well, the question is, did the did the brother-in-law get taxed on the money in the first place? Because I don't think you can double-tax income like that. Yeah, well... Anyway, who gives a shit? Let's talk about the movie. So, for <laughs> in exchange for doing this uh, IRS dancing... He gets three beers apiece for him and his roofing buddies. And then it appears to all work out. The suds come. And Andy doesn't even drink anymore. He just wanted those suds to feel normal with his boys. And after that, his assailant, Boggs, gets the shit beat out of him. By Hadley, personally. And he could never walk again. And... The sisters left Andy alone completely, which is good for him. And then, um, I'm skipping over a lot, but they start talking about rocks in the yard after this. Oh, yeah, I just realized that. Um, so, yeah, they're they're playing checkers, talk about how chess is the, the real game, and Red's like, ah, it's too confusing, I don't care for that. And it is here where Red says, oh, I... I'm in for murder. The only guilty man in Shawshank. Yeah. Um, Andy starts carving. He wants to carve chess pieces. That He's like, well, time is what I got. Let's get some rocks. He asks Red specifically for rocks so he can carve them. Soapstone and alabaster. Yeah. Um, and he also requests Rita Hayworth. And at this point, Andy is... so. This is another harrowing scene after this. Do you want to tell me how? Yeah, so they go watch a movie. R- with Rita Hayworth. With Rita and Hayworth. She flips in her hair so good. Yeah, and Red says, like, because um, Andy is coming up to Red during the movie. And it must be like a passphrase because they know each other very well at this point, And he still says, I hear you're a man who knows how to get things. So it must be, I am beginning a transaction with you. You know, I want you to get me stuff. I... <laughs> As incon- as not that out of the scope of things I'm willing to do, that's just so annoying and inconvenient. I really hope that I wouldn't have to say, I know you're a man who knows how to get things. They are watching Rita Hayworth. Andy wants a Rita Hayworth poster and a bunch of rocks to carve some chess pieces. He gets, gets confirmation he's getting his stuff goes to leave he's jumped by the sisters again and they threaten him again with sexual assault and he 
basically threads his way out of it. Um, it it's quite graphic what they threaten and what he responds with. And uh, basically in the end, he is not sexually assaulted, but he is beaten within inches of his life, according to Red. He's almost... Did I miss out... So I talked about Boggs never walking again. Yeah, so that happens after this. Okay, so Boggs does get beat up after the beer scene, though. Oh, wait, Boggs no. beat up means they... I wrote down Boggs beat up. Oh, yeah. I've Boggs done beat up, stuff. Andy. Yeah, so in the movie, uh, in the projection room, Boggs beats Andy to near death. He's in the infirmary for months. After this is when... Uh, What's his name? The captain Hadley. Hadley. Captain Hadley goes to Boggs's cell and paralyzes him, cripples him, sends him to a different prison, and then the sisters never bother Andy again. Yes, and then after this, this gets him quite a bit of cred with everybody in the prison, I think, because everyone knows that through that connection with Hadley to get the thirty-five thousand, it's more than just the beer. It's also kind of like. He's starting to finagle himself into a position of power with the uh, guards and getting them to do shit like this. So A, everyone hates Boggs because he's, you know, basically the villain of the prison. And he gets him sent away and crippled, you know, revenge. Uh, so after this, you were going to say, that at this point, um, Andy's in the infirmary. Yeah, he's in the infirmary. But when he gets out, he gets approached. Uh, wait, is there, um, did I miss? Yes. So after, so sorry. After this is a routine inspection or something. They're tossing up the cells and the warden comes by Andy's cell. Oh, yeah. Um, well, he gets, uh. All of his friends are digging in the field for rocks and finding the appropriate rocks. He gets Rita Hayworth and hangs her up on his wall. And then, yeah, the cell toss occurs where the warden comes specifically to his cell and grabs his Bible and they quote verses at each other that are pretty symbolic of how they view one another in this uh, relationship. I forget the exact quotes, but... The warden says, oh, any particularly favorite passages? And Andy says something that implies the warden is like uh, overinflated um, sense of self. And then the warden replies that he is literally the shining light of God, salvationing all of the prisoners, pretty much. Um, so uh, he gets to keep his poster because of this and uh, kind of impresses the warden. And after this, he gets moved up from laundry, and he gets to go to the library. And Brooks, who runs the library at this time, says, I don't know, I don't need an assistant. And then you find out that the reason they brought Andy to the library is because they want him to essentially be an accountant. And he starts doing um, a lot of taxes uh, for all the prison cards and some real shady shit. And he also gets told, no, you can't have more funds for the library. Meanwhile, he's running all this shit through the library. Mm -hmm. And um, things are, you know, the way they are. And Red gets pulled in during tax season because it gets so busy that Andy needs an assistant. Yeah. And he's doing 
it, it's like one year he does half the prison guards. Next year is all the prison guards. The year after is all the neighboring prisons who compete in the same, like, sports league tournament. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, Red gets pulled in. And also, um, this talking about this kind of makes me realize that as a bit unfair to say, in this movie... Prisoners are victims, Nazi, uh, guards are Nazis. Nazis. Uh, guards are hateful monsters because you meet a lot of prisoners, you know, you meet prisoners like Boggs who are monstrous villains and you meet guards who are unnamed, but there are people who say, you know, like, how do you do? And they, they just want to get their taxes done and they're very amicable to Andy and other guards. So it's not all... Not every prisoner is a Brooks, and not every guard is a Hadley, you know. Um, so I guess I retract that earlier. And he writes a letter every week for, like, two years. Mm-hmm. Um, then we kind of see a downturn with Brooks. So Brooks has Haywood. I wrote his name down. Haywood is the guy, the leader of the, not the leader, but the most prominent member of the group of prisoners, in my view, who isn't a main character. Oh, okay. Haywood is held at knife point by Brooks, and we're not really sure why, and then we realize it's because Brooks is being released, his parole was approved, and he is institutionalized. He can't exist on the outside, and he thinks if he kills Haywood, maybe he'll get more years and he'll die in prison, is what he wants. Red points out how, you know, people are thinking, wow, Brooks is nuts for wanting to stay here. Red points out the whole concept of institutionalization, how he's been there for 50 years at that point, and the thought of existing on his own is probably unfathomable, and it's uh, terrifying. So he's institutionalized. He depends on the walls. And then we see the sequence of Brooks out in the real world. And in the real world, he gets a crappy little apartment, and he is a bagger at a grocery store, where he gets berated for not being that good at his job, and he talks about how his hands hurt all the time. And it's kind of sad, because it's obvious that he doesn't belong out here. And eventually it takes enough of a toll on him that he decides to take his own life, and in his apartment he puts Brooks was here on a beam in the middle of the apartment. And uh, we cut back to the prison, and on another upturn note, Andy ended up getting his books and $200, and while they're sorting through all the books, he decides to play, he, he gets a guard while he's taking a bathroom break, he locks him into the bathroom, mm-hmm. and then he shuts the door to the office, and he plays some opera over the PA, yeah. and this gets all the... Well, all the prisoners listen, and they're obviously enamored, but it gets the warden in a real frenzy. So I think this is probably another metaphor between how the warden's, like, taking life and taking peace from these prisoners instead of being this religious figurehead that he's supposed to be. Because he doesn't want to give these men comfort, he wants to lord over them and control their lives. And for this little stunt... um, the officers end up breaking in, and Andy gets two weeks in the hole, and that's a long time. 
I think they talked yeah. about how one week in the hole was the previous high amount. Or at least Boggs only got one week in the hole after it was found out that he kicked the shit out of Andy. Boggs got two weeks and Andy got one because I recall uh, we made, I thought it came up how, oh, sexual assault is two weeks, but like that it seemed so disproportionate, but it was right. vice versa. It was, so sexual assault was only one week and playing music over the PA was two weeks. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I want to call about this sequence is it was very similar to the very beginning of the movie with that giant flyover where we see all the prisoners. And again, we see a shot of all the prisoners in the yard rather than running to jeer and all that at this bus. They're all just like standing, staring at the PA, not really realizing what they're hearing. Like they're, they're so transfixed and it's really great. And also Red's narration of when they got beers earlier on he made them feel like free men, you know, tarring their own roof. And at this point, uh, hearing this music made everybody in the prison feel like a, a free man for a moment. So uh, very much tied to how much, uh, how free can a person be made to feel through these small things, you know. Andy comes out of the hole and is talking with his friends in the diner about... <laughs> music and the the purpose of music and how it gives them hope and red is basically like cut that hope shit out it's gonna ruin your life give it up and uh andy says kind of like how brooks gave it up and that prompts red to leave so uh andy won that one <laughs> and uh Wait, the suicide god yep he sure did uh we see red before another parole board at this point and this is his 30-year parole board meeting. And he gets asked, have you been reformed? And he says, oh, yes. Yes, I have. So, obviously, he gets rejected, which is the biggest crock I've ever seen. <laughs> but I, I like the movie, the way the movie has, like, these ups and downs and ups and downs. Because right after this, Andy gives Morgan Freeman, Red, a tiny harmonica. Mm -hmm. And the harmonica plays music, so it's obviously a symbol of hope for Red. I think they say that explicitly, actually. And he had to go through one of his competitors to get it, which is kind of fun, because he just wanted to keep it a secret and a surprise. And I think that's one of those small human things that Andy brings to the prison. Like, getting a surprise from a friend, yeah. isn't, and a good surprise, isn't necessarily something you would think about. Um, and uh, I liked at this point... Red got him a poster to swap out his Rita Hayworth, and he gives him Marilyn Monroe. And there's a sequence where it's nighttime at prison, and they're watching. They're, like, both looking at each other's gifts. And they're in their cells alone, but he's looking up at Marilyn Monroe, and Red is holding the harmonica. And it's, it, it's like you say, so so human and, you know, it's such a strong connection between these these items that they thought to give one another. It's a strong friendship. I mean, anti-consumerism has its merits, but... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. After this, we have another scene in the library. It, well, between this and that, Warden is obviously doing some crazy shit. Yeah. And he's um, profiteering, essentially, 
because he's using the prisoners as slave labor and he's taking bribes to not let his slave labor win bids on other pieces of work and he's um i don't know money laundering all this stuff but he's getting homemade pies and he's making money he shouldn't make and mm. i only bring up the pie because it's another small human comfort and the warden is he has the pie and he has andy doing his overnight work that he's obviously not getting paid for in the office and he's like you're gonna finish this up oh by the way here's a pie the pie sucks but what is they have maggot infested food this pie has to be the best shit ever mm -hmm. so another small human comfort that he shares with his friend that shit's crazy he has to pick maggots out of his gruel but he's sharing a homemade pie with his friend. Yeah. I'd give you half of my pie if we were in prison. I'd give you half of mine. I'd give you the whole pie. I can't. I shouldn't have that many I calories. I you took the whole pie. Oh. <laughs> but uh, they are talking about this. They being Red and Andy. In the library. They're in the library that was Eating funded pie. because Andy got a $200 stipend and some books and they're like leave us alone and then he didn't leave him alone he upped it to two letters a week and then they started giving him an allowance of like five hundred dollars to construct a full-on library which is a real big win for the movie and then libraries too are a symbol of humanity i mean being yeah. allowed to read free knowledge connection or civilization at least especially if seeing these people be treated like slaves mm -hmm. and uh, in these super inhumane conditions and being thrown in the hole, deloused, blasted with hoses, <laughs> and then they get to have a library. Blasted with hoses. Blasted with them. Yes. They get blasted. Uh, so this is where he says that he tells Red, hey, I made up this person. Randall Stevens. Randall Stevens. I've got all the documents needed, birth certificate, all that. doesn't exist except on paper. And he's getting all of the warden's money. I'm going to make him a millionaire by the time I get out of here. And he's a fake fall guy. That's why I've made him. Yes. And Red is amazed by the possibility of this. And uh, this is where he says, yeah, you know, I lived straight on the outside. I had to come to prison to be and be a crook to live. Mm -hmm. So, uh, pretty, pretty good sequence. And also... Just kind of shows, I, I'm sure you could do a very, I, I bet there is a very in-depth research paper about the human identity and stuff like that oh, in this yeah. movie. There's so many, like us just talking about it, yeah. The yeah. way that Andy's bringing humanity into the prison. Yeah, and he's giving humanity to all these people and he's uh, connecting with folks and he's creating humans out of thin air uh for whatever purpose oh, like there's Jesus. a lot to wow wow there's a lot to look at he's but... christ himself <laughs> don't chuckle yeah like he's that. he's a my my extreme stance for this movie is andy dufresne is jesus christ himself he does have a pretty convincing shot near the end of the movie he... oh shit <laughs> <laughs> when he comes out he's like ah anyway okay. Coming so, at you, English IB. That's a real, that's a real claim. New bus arrives. New bus. 
Tommy is on it. Who's on that bus? Tommy Williams. Oh my god. Um, he's introduced. He's a braggadocio. He's like a greaser. Oh yeah, I totally thought greaser too. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably what it's supposed to be because it's 1967 um, by now. Yeah. So it's the end of the era of the greasers, beginning of the hippies. I forget. I feel like, so he was going to be in prison for two years. Yep. And I forget what they said. Yeah, okay. I feel like that's really relevant because they they make him, he's like this kid and uh, he's a really lovable guy. They they don't want him to come in and be like, yep, another life sentence. He murdered his wife and lover. It's like, no, he's, he's a he's a good kid. He's in for petty theft. He has a family. And uh, he's a, he's a likable yeah. dude. Yeah. He immediately fit in with the gang, being Red and Andy and the other ones. I also really liked, uh, since you're talking about the youthfulness of Tommy, I liked how they gradually grade all the characters and Andy starts wearing glasses more and stuff like that. Yeah. It's really, it does a really good job of showing the passage of time, even though within the prison walls everything's pretty similar. Yeah, that's and fair. Technology doesn't really come in. No, that's a good way of putting it. And we find out from Tommy Williams when when he finds out Andy's in for murder, we find out about Elmo Blatch, who was his cellmate. And it, it we just find out from him about that. So that's a little introduction. And then Andy says, why don't we tell the warden we gotta go? Yeah. And though before this, well, Tommy no, because be- they, he gets turned, he gets turned down because he's not going to get out of the prison, and then he tutors Tommy. Tommy gets his high school diploma. Tommy and Warden talk in the night. Warden asks Tommy if he's telling the truth, and Tommy's then murdered, as you've said. Uh, at this point, the warden goes to visit Andy in the hole after a month, and uh, kind of says, "Hey, you know, I." It's a real shame Tommy died. You've probably heard. Also, uh, Andy says, I want to stop. I don't want to do your money laundering anymore. He says, no, no, no. You're never going to stop. I'll make your life hell. And uh, then he gives him another month after that. So he gets two months in the hole, which is insane. And then we cut to the, the hole being end. Andy and Red are talking in the yard. And um, they bring up Andy's end game, so to speak. Zihuatanao, where he wants to get a hotel on a boat. So they kind of talk like, do I ever think I'll get out of here? Red says, probably um, when I am, um, you know, have a big long beard and uh, am institutionalized myself worse than Brooks. And uh, Andy tells him, hey, when you do get out of here, go look in this field, northmost field, under a rock fence. There's a there's a rock that has no earthly business being there. Underneath is something I want you to have. And Red says, what is it? And he's like, you'll just have to find it. Which is very uh, mysterious. He whispers a lot. Andy? <laughs> yeah, especially at the end here. Andy's just a big old whisperer. Intense whispering. Uh, they go to have another meal where every member is talking about how bizarre Andy is behaving. 
He's whispering a lot. <laughs> How he's whispering a lot. And Red says, well, every man has his breaking point, and they realize that Haywood has given him a length of rope. Uh, Andy's helping the warden again, and the warden says, shine my shoes, do this, do that. All this shit. We see him comply with all of this, and then we see Red sitting in his cell. He says he's had long nights, and sometimes time can draw like a blade, which I thought was a very cool line. I wanted to call it out. And then the morning rolls around. And we find out that Andy did not hang himself. He is simply missing. And the warden asks, where could he be? Where is he? And he starts picking up the pieces that Andy's carved, and he's throwing them around, and he calls Red into the cell, and he almost hits Red with a chess piece, and he throws one at the furry pants. Yeah, I forget the woman it is now. That's a new woman, not Marilyn Monroe. And he throws a rock at the poster, and it puts a little hole in the poster, and this scene's pretty iconic. He rips the poster, and we find out that there's a carved hole behind it. And then it's back to Red's narration. And he says, oh, I had guessed it would take 600 years to carve through this stone, but I guess it was only 20. And there's a crossover scene with Andy writing his name in the wall and getting a big chunk out. And that's where the idea sparks. And from then on, he's carving out the wall, and when he's strolling through the yard, he's depositing pieces of the wall out of his pants, so it takes 20 years to carve through, and he crawls through the hole in this wall, and he winds up at some pipe system, and he matches up this big rock hitting against a pipe with thunderclaps, which is clever, obviously, so that it can't be told that he's breaking into this pipe, and he crawls through half a mile of shit to get out. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that? He <clears throat> escapes and uh, is climbing through. We see it's all intercut where the search crew is looking for him. We see his escape. And all they find is, you know, muddy prison clothes and some old shoes or something. We realize he stole the warden's clothes and escaped with them, changed into them. He hits the town, he's going to all the banks, and uh, he is taking on the role of this guy that he created to launder the warden's money. Randall Stevens. Randall Stevens. And he cleans him out. He also mails the newspaper uh, proof of the the horrible crimes going on in his prison. Uh, The police raid the prison and... You know, uh, what's the captain's name? Hadley. Captain Hadley is arrested, taken away, and the warden, it looks like he's got to go down guns blazing, but he kills himself. And what I like is how Red is, like, recollecting his friend. You know, they're they're all kind of sitting around the table remembering Andy, and it's a juxtaposition with this and the beginning of the movie where... They're just kind of talking about this guy, fat ass, who's dead now. And now that Andy's gone, they're just thinking about him super fondly. And I thought it was a nice way to show how much these characters grew from heartless prisoners to, you know, people who miss their friend and all that. Uh, We see another parole board meeting. This will be the 
40-year parole for Red. How do things go this time around? They go terrible. They go horribly. They reject his parole, and he gets to spend the rest of his life in prison. Yes. And then the movie ends. <laughs> That's it. It's really sad. Uh, no, Red goes off. He goes A-W-F. He goes off. Oof. And he seems like a crazy rambling man talking about institutionalized and reformed. And, um, he, he seems very jaded. But this time, he finally gets his parole. And he, too, works at the grocery store. And he is in the same apartment Brooks had been in. But he remembers Zihuatanejo. Yes. And he packs up his case... And he puts on a suit, and he writes, Red was here. And he violates his parole, and he gets a ticket. He gets a ticket to Buxton. Yes. <laughs> and, well, he, I think he probably, um, what, what is it when you stick your thumb out? Hitchhike. He hitchhikes, because he's definitely in a truck. He doesn't get a ticket until later, because he doesn't get any money. So he finds Buxton, and he goes... To that hayfield, and he finds the big oak tree, and he scans the wall, and he finds the volcanic rock that has no business being there, and under that rock is a lunch tin with a steamboat, and in that steamboat lunch tin is a letter to Red, and it really seemed, it really seemed like when Andy was describing it, it was something he put down there 20 years ago, um, yeah. at least I thought. But Red gets to the stump, not a stump, rock. The tree's still there. Tree's still fully there. Hardly matters, but in the letter, he asks if he remembers the name of that city, and then if he's willing to go a little further. Uh, and there's a bunch of money. There's like an envelope of money. And Red uses that envelope money to get a ticket, a real ticket this time, to Fort Hancock, Texas. The same place his postcard in jail was marked too. And he crosses the border into Mexico and he finally feels hope. And what does he find in Mexico? He finds Zihuataneo and his friend. Which friend? <laughs> he finds Andy Dufresne sanding a boat uh, on a beach. I really. Won I loved, what? I loved how beachy Andy looked. Yeah, he had like a white shirt, Linen. he was tan, <laughs> wearing sad. shorts. I, I, one thing that I really loved about the end was the line where as he was on the bus to Mexico, he said he was he was so excited he could barely sit still and he felt this excitement that only a free man can feel about something that uh, you don't know what the outcome will be, but you're excited to participate. Really happy ending for Red, so. Yeah, happy man. And they hug and we pan out on the crisp beach of Zihuatanejo. I think one thing that I really romanticize about the 70s, uh, 60s, is how easy it was to like disappear and like get a new... Yeah. Maybe it's as easy now, I just don't know the right people. And maybe it was difficult back then and I never would have known the right people. But it seems... One hell of a lot easier, because that driver's license didn't even have a photo on it. Well, I mean, compare Red escaping from a prison system in this movie mm -hmm. to Jesse escaping in Camaro. Well, they both went to Mexico. Yeah, but Jesse 
had to scramble and evade cops like a oh, nut for two yeah, days straight. That's true. Give up his whole life and hide in a moving truck and <laughs> disappear in Alaska. Oh, yeah. Why did I think Mexico? That's where everyone goes. Yeah. Whereas Red gets on a bus. <laughs> and he just in rides there. He did have to hike for a while to get money. He he hiked so long that he had to take off his jacket and loosen his necktie. Yeah, it was really funny to me how Andy could have described this tree in any way. <laughs> but he specifically called out how him and his girlfriend had sex under it. Wife. Well, girlfriend at the time. Because he's like... Wife to be, because he proposed under that tree. Wife to be. So he's like, the woman that I, I proposed to her, we made love under that tree. And I just like to think Fred is like, oh, okay. He's <laughs> like, Jesus. It's... Thank you, Andy. Also, premarital sex? In the 40s? It would have been the... Well... 30s? How long was he married to his wife before he didn't kill her? That's a good question. Before she cheated on him? At least a couple of years. Sad. He was pretty young in the flashback. But, yeah. Uh, what, are you, what, are you, what are you feeling about this movie? What are your favorite... Favorite? At least favorite. Favorite... I mean, I haven't read The Shawshank Redemption, but I can only assume this is a well-thought-out adaptation. I actually, there's, I just read a Reddit thread that is relevant. Uh, someone said, what movie is better than the book? They asked. Mm. Someone said Shawshank Redemption. Because this is an adaptation of a collection of four short stories. And Shawshank Redemption is a short story in the same collection as Stand By Me. So imagine being Stephen King and putting out a collection of Did short Stephen stories. King write the Shawshank Redemption? Yes. Holy shit. <laughs> he also wrote Stand By Me. <gasps> yeah, he, I uh, know he wrote Stand By Me. Yeah, he's he's quite the author, that that King boy. <laughs> what else has he written? <laughs> Game of Thrones? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I didn't... Did he write The Green Mile? I want to say yes. I think about The Green Mile a lot when I think about Shawshank. Because they're both, yeah, they're both prison movies and... That's insane. Um, yeah. Wow, he's a really prolific and well-written author. I wonder if I should actually read more by him. Because I actually haven't... Actually, actually, actually. I haven't read any Stephen King, but I have um, Cape Fear. No. Um, it uh, was from, okay. Green Mile was by Stephen King. Do, are Doom, you thinking of Duma Key? Duma Key. That is a hundred percent it. What's, I, I was like, I I have no idea how good Duma Key is. Right. But it's funny to me that it's like I should start reading Stephen King. I wonder what the quintessential <laughs> Stephen King novels that I ought to read are. Let's start with Duma Key. <laughs> <laughs> the Shining, no. Stand by me, no. It, no. Dumaki. <laughs> oh boy. Dark Tower, no. Oh yeah, what a daunting process that would be. Oh man. Cool. What a so. I guess we never really covered what you actually liked and disliked. We just started talking about these books. I really liked how it was set in a prison, because you don't see many stories set in prison. Yeah. And there are 
No. Well, well acted, well written. Yeah, I, I didn't know Stephen King wrote that. That's a plus. Not even because I've read Stephen King, but because I like his other stuff that he's written and I've watched be turned into movies. I read the same exact quote. Yeah, uh, positives for me are characters. Yeah. They're all so well written. They're very good. Particularly read. Oh, yeah. I felt like I actually wrote down in my notes at one point Andy was acting really kind of wooden. And I thought that he wasn't a very good actor in the movie. I thought it was awkward to watch. But then as the movie went on, it started to make a lot of sense. Because he's truly this innocent man put in hell for decades. It's probably all he can manage to be outwardly calm. He's probably despairing and hopeless, or potentially on the brink of hopelessness the whole time. So... Being wooden and quiet and uh, stiff makes sense. And then when he's free or uh, when he's fighting to get the warden to consider his case, uh, he's got these outbursts of emotion. So, yeah. Really good acting. Super so, good. Yeah. What do you not like? What don't I like? Why isn't this movie perfect? Uh, I can't really name it. I just, I didn't have a sense of wonder or awe like I did when we watched Parasite. Mm -hmm. the, the cinematography is very good it's a lot of tight shots of people talking which makes sense this whole movie is essentially a bottle episode so there's not yes. really an opportunity to have these wide beautiful shots because it'd be full of prisoners so maybe that's a plus um what did you not like well um you you kind of made me realize with that, how we're seeing these prisoners and stuff, and I think for all the character depth that there is in Andy and Red and even people like Haywood, you have people like the Warden and uh, Hadley yeah. who are cartoonishly evil, Fair. and it just seems like if you can get a character who we know is in prison for murder to be likable and uh, we, we root for him, and I feel like you could write a villain who's got a good side to him and Hadley gives them beer one time but he beats people to death and the warden is this god complex monster so if I were to give a negative it would be that the villains are really too villainous you yeah. know they're they're easy to root against but one they're not one dimensional yes they're flat okay yeah. I feel that so I guess that would be my negative alright you ready to rate this puppy yeah, on the count of three. Okay. One, two, three, nine. nine. Hey! Wow, great yeah, movie. Yeah, it's a nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. Shawshank Redemption. Well, thanks for listening. If you listened. We have a Twitter now. We have a, a tweeter. We are RMR underscore podcast. At RMR underscore podcast. Right, because it's Twitter. Okay, and then... We also have a real website, and we only have a link to our RSS feed, but we are on iTunes now. Yes, which and is very exciting. And you can find us on Spotify, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. We'll be there, waiting. Um, we also have a trust pilot, if you want to rate us, I guess. Give us a... Yeah, rate us. Uh, we're on Facebook... We're, I th we might be on Instagram, but we're not really a visual mm -hmm. me. 
could post pictures of Pugsley's so you know what the hell we're yeah. talking about. Just us lounging here, drinking beers. You, I mean, if if every episode you uploaded a picture of us sitting, that's good content. <laughs> anyway, follow us on all those platforms. Please. And visit our sites. And Please. rate us and listen. Oh, um, the contact form is down on the website right now. Uh, I just need to log in and update that with a widget. Uh, email us at rookiemoviereview at gmail.com. Also, if you're the owner of rookiemoviereviews at gmail.com, please sell us your email. <laughs> Give it up. <laughs> Are you even using it? Uh, not since 2012, according to their WordPress website. God damn. Okay, I love you. Bye. Bye.